Welcome to Farming God, a podcast on. Welcome to Farming. Yeah. Welcome to Farming God, a podcast dedicated to asking bigger questions about a way to live in America. Part one: Bears don't kill beavers. Legend says they are of the same kin. So much so that I've heard tales of northern trappers staring on in disbelief as bears help beavers escape from snares. Bears are powerful and brave, while beavers are the stubborn ones, stopping at nothing to complete the job. Work usually begins by damming fast-moving water. Wider streams give them more protection and provide an ideal place to build a lodge. The exterior is constructed by arranging sticks, stones, and mud. On the interior, they create soft bedding with grass, wood chips, and reeds. The roof is pitched like a teepee for ventilation. If you find a beaver lodge on a cold day, you could see steam rising from their chimney. And if you listen closely, you'll hear the family griping at each other, chewing on sticks and grooming themselves. During fall, beavers stockpile sticks underwater in preparation for winter. When the water freezes, this is all they have to eat. They crawl out of a water tunnel built into their lodge. Their rear webbed feet propel them to the underwater stockpile. They grab a stick with their mouth, the inner set of lips closed to prevent their throat from filling with water. A flap protects their ears, and a lining covers their eyes. Only humans manipulate their environment more than beavers. On my way to Wild Goose Festival, I stopped in Clarksville, Indiana, across the river from Louisville, Kentucky. The namesakes of the explorers who departed from this place, Lewis and Clark. Prior to meeting here, Meriwether Lewis wrote to William Clark asking him to, quote, find out and engage some good hunters, stout, healthy, unmarried men, accustomed to the woods and capable of bearing bodily fatigue in a pretty considerable degree. Should any young men answering this description be found in your neighborhood, I would thank you to give information of them on my arrival to the falls of Ohio. There used to be falls here. Now it's just another damned river. In 1804, the Lewis and Clark expedition began. The party included about 30 men, including Clark's slave, York, and nine Louisville residents. They canoed, portaged, and walked west for over a year, eventually arriving at the Pacific Ocean, where they spent the winter. After three years of travel, they made the full round trip and returned to this river bank, where tonight I'm sleeping in my car. The car was still hot from driving in the sun all day, so I opened the sunroof and took a stroll. I walked past the concrete levees to the shore of the Ohio River. It was a Tuesday night, no one around, a full moon resting on the cables of the bridge, soft blue lighting below. The Louisville side of the bridge looked beautiful at night, not daunting like the skyline of a tier one city like Chicago, LA, or New York just a modest validation of American achievement. 
I'd been standing still for several minutes and became aware that I'd interrupted a beaver's midnight snack. She had already seen me, but apparently didn't feel threatened. She was, after all, in her element, ebbing and flowing with the ripples of shoreline waves, disappearing and returning with another walnut twig, this one for her child, who was much less skeptical of the human observing her from the shoreline. Mom's eyes never left me as she devoured her green, woody meal. The beaver was once a woman. She dammed a stream to swim and enjoyed it so much that her leather apron became a tail. Part 2. The Festival Experiences like wild goose are hard to summarize. It will take months for me to process everything, but for now, here's one takeaway. My tolerance for Christian language is far greater than my contemporaries. While I, with no certain conviction, think that Christian stories and characters are fascinating, complex, ancient, my peers cringe at the slightest sniff of Christian rhetoric, and I understand why. We've seen mainstream Christians who are judgmental, dogmatic, and more concerned with building a larger church than securing a dry place for a homeless family to sleep. I've given Christianity a chance, and its stories have taught me so much. Poets like Meister Eckhart, Thomas Merton, and John O'Donohue, revolutionaries like St. Francis and St. Ignatius, academics like St. Thomas Aquinas and Augustine of Hippo, and social justice legends like Martin Luther King Jr., Dorothy Day, and Mother Teresa. My contemporaries may never be willing to learn from them just because of a negative association they have with Christian language. It's disappointing, close-minded, but I understand. It's time for a new language, a language that doesn't yet exist. Part 3. The Bear The final day of the festival, I woke up in my tent to the sound of the French Broad River rolling over shallow stones. In the background, Frank Schaefer spoke about big things like systematic racism, small things like the bugs he and his granddaughter observe on their walks through the woods. Brian McLaren spoke about the four types of churches in America the complacent, the hesitant, the progressive, and the revolutionary. And Sister Simone of Nuns on the Bus talked about feminism, radical inclusion, and the church institutions that she's pissed off. A few departing words were said, we wished goodbye to newfound friends, packed our tents, then drove away. Less than a mile from the campsite, a small black bear came into the clearing on the side of the highway. I pulled the car over to get a better look. The bear, equally curious, stood on her hind legs to observe me. Her fur was black and her ears were tan, like human skin. They were pointed up. She came back down to all fours, stepped a yard closer, then effortlessly rose again to her hind legs. Cars lined up behind me and after a minute or so, she was bored with the noisy hum of air-conditioned cars 
so she strolled back into the forest, towards the river. Joyed by my strange encounter with Mrs. Bear, I accelerated up the mountain, past a rafting lodge, an abandoned general store, and a crumbling gas station, wound down the hauler, tapping the steering wheel to the beat of radio bluegrass. I was trying to go east, but the road seemed to be going every direction but that way. Rounding another bend, there was a line of vehicles stopped in front of me, so I slowed down and turned off the music. Maybe another bear? I don't think so. Drivers were getting out of their cars to diagnose the delay. A white-haired motorcyclist attempted to stand at the guardrail to get a better look, but he couldn't lift his leg high enough, so he almost fell. I turned off my car and waited. Word from the front spread that the accident was bad. One ambulance, two, three, two people pinned, fire truck, head-on collision. Long ago, a bear abducted the daughter of an Indian chief. She was picking blueberries and stepped in some bear dung. Disgusted by the bear's uncleanliness, she cursed the monsters. Dirty bears! A bear nearby, tired of the disrespect, transformed into a handsome man. He approached the woman and invited her back to his home. The woman fell in love and ended up having twin bear cubs, who were also part human. Eventually, the woman's tribe came to her rescue and killed her outnumbered bear husband. They returned the woman and her children to the village, where they had tried to adapt, but the twins never really understood the abstract ideas that influenced the people's behavior. So they turned around and ran back to the forest, never to be seen again. To this day, all members of the Bear Clan are descendants of these twins. Legend has it that our brother Bear and cousin Beaver are of the same kin. It's nice to know that even if we destroy ourselves, our relatives may survive, nibbling on walnut twigs on the banks of a crumbling city. Now, more than ever, a modest validation of American achievement. <laughs>